Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Vegetables, apparently. There's all kinds of reasons that summer is a happy time. It's part and due because you get around nature. You get outside, maybe get by a lake, you get by the ocean, and there's something uniquely refreshing about being in God's nature. I actually think of it like this, is that nature is God's first revelation, that, that really before all things, that Paul even said as much in Romans chapter 1, that, that you could literally look at creation and probably capture about all you would need to really know about who God is. That's how wonderful and beautiful his creation is. It gives you a context for the idea of glory. And so anyway, but it's summertime, and I want you to be happy, and here's what I know about you. You want you to be happy, right? Can I get an amen and a what, what? Like, you want to be happy. I know this. Um, the problem that we run into is, is that although we want to be happy and we pursue happiness, our problem usually is, is that we don't actually know what makes us happy. This is why we keep chasing dumb ideas or foolish adventures or foolish experiences. And a lot of the stuff that we do is temporarily fun, but has long-term pain and consequences. And God is actually wanting you to be happy. That's a weird idea. Because there's a lot of churches out there that kind of gave you the impression that God's angry with you. He'd like to punish you, make you miserable. Maybe if he made you poor and unhappy, you'd serve him better. And that's ridiculous. Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount opens with a poem on happiness. How to determine and discover what real happiness is. And this is what the poem says. It is counterintuitive and it is countercultural. But this is what Jesus said. Blessed or how happy are the poor in spirit, that idea of poor in spirit just means I am humble and humbly depend on God. You'll be happy if you're humble and you humbly depend on God because, well, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How happy are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. How happy are the meek for they will inherit the earth. How happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Today we'll talk about this one. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you have not been here for this series, you really need to go back and watch because this has been fantastic. This is the divine blueprint for happiness. And if you actually want to be happy and sustain happiness and have that deep level of contentment and joy, you need to dive into this series because it is profound. But today, if you'll go back to that one verse and it says, blessed are the merciful or how happy are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Everybody say mercy. Now, again, if you're going to unpack the words of Jesus, you have to be like, okay, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? What does it even mean to be merciful? And why in the world would that ever lead me to happiness? So, 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 and why would it even be important to live a life of mercy? So if you've taken notes, this is, this is my big takeaway. Well, what is mercy? Mercy is ultimately this. It's when God doesn't give me what I deserve, but he gives me what I need. He doesn't give me what I deserve. That's the idea. There's these two religious words we throw around. One's called, everybody say grace. Everybody say mercy. And grace is usually the free gift of God, right? It's when you do get what you don't deserve, right? So God gives you forgiveness, even though you don't deserve it, right? Mercy is almost when I, when I don't get what I do deserve, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? You're a little kid. And you broke something in the house or you did something dumb or for the fifth time you, you disobeyed mom or whatever. And you should have gotten punished. But if mom was merciful, she did not give you what you did 
deserve, right? And so mercy's like that. Mercy says that there's a lot of times where maybe that person deserves to be punished. Maybe you deserve to give them the business and the what for. Maybe you deserve to put them in their place. Maybe you did. They deserve it. But if you're merciful, you're like, you know what? Even though they deserve it, I'm going to withhold that judgment, withhold that justice even, and I'm not going to give them what they deserve. Well, that's what God does with you and I. He does not give you what he, what you deserve. He just gives you what you need. As a matter of fact, there's a great story with Napoleon, great French conqueror. He had found a soldier that had made a repeated mistake on duty and it was time for him to be punished. Well, his mom got involved, you know, it's always bad when mom gets involved and mom went to Napoleon and said, I know my son committed this crime, but I plead for mercy. And this is what Napoleon said. Napoleon said, but your son does not deserve mercy. So she replies, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all that I ask for. See, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be mercy if he deserved. It's not about deserve. It's about not getting what you deserve. And Napoleon said, all right, fine. I'll give you mercy just because of that profound moment, that profound lesson. I will not, I will not punish this kid because he deserved it, but he did. He got mercy instead. He did not get what he deserved. Well, here's the deal. This is, this is why mercy becomes so important. Number one is this. Well, God has shown me mercy. The reason why I want to live a life of giving out mercy. I want to be a dealer in mercy. Well, number one is because God has shown me mercy. Check this out. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God who is what? He's rich in mercy. It's not like I'm kind of merciful. Sometimes I'm merciful. Sometimes you read the Old Testament, you think God gets angry quickly. And then you read it carefully and you're like, oh, well, they were sinful for 400 years. Okay, well, maybe it is time at some point. You know, 400 years is a long time to be merciful. That's that's more than what you've got. Um so it says, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace we have been saved. And so this is the idea is that God is so merciful that he's rich in mercy when it comes to us. God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. Number two is this. Uh, God actually commands us to be merciful. So at some point, if you walk with God long enough, or if you experience God deep enough, you eventually will give God a blank check. Eventually you will say, God, just because you said it, I'll do it. Just because you asked it, I'll do it. I just, I'm in. I'm all in. The chips are all in. I'm down for whatever, whatever you want. So if you command it, I'm doing it. Well, God commands you to be merciful. Check this out. This is, this is, by the way, this is one of these huge summary statements in scripture that you could live your whole life by. You ready? Micah 6 verse 8 says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Now, anytime you see that, you should write this down. You should underline this, highlight this, get a tattoo. This is what the Lord requires. Like, what does God really, really require? What does he really, really want from you? Well, to act justly and to love mercy and then to walk humbly with God. Like, that's what this is all about. Like, God is commanding you. You know what I require? This is what I need. Look, you're with me now. This is what I need. Number one, do justly to other people. Love mercy. And then just walk with me. As humbly as you can, just walk with me. Watch this. Hosea 6, 6. This is another. This is actually a statement that Jesus quotes a couple different times. Like, Jesus lifts this straight out of the Old Testament and quotes it to some religious leaders. Hosea 6, 6 says this. For I desire mercy. Everybody say mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What Hosea and some of the other prophets, they do this repeatedly. They challenge the people of God and they're like, you missed the point. You roll up in here with your lamb and your bull and your oxen and you kill animals and then you go treat people like crap. You missed the point. 
Do you think God cares about your lamb? It's just, it's just symbolic. You, you missed the point that it's about mercy. That's what it's really all about. And so like, keep, keep your offerings. I mean, this is the radical notion that the prophets give Hosea and particularly in this moment is this. Your mercy is more important than your worship. That's what the prophets, you remember the prophets were challenging sometimes. He goes, you can roll up in here and sing all the songs you want and give all the offerings you want. But if you walk out of here and you don't treat people with a level of mercy, you've missed the point. Keep your song, which is incredibly challenging. You're like, but, but my song, I love you, Jesus. I was worshiping you. But see, here's, this is what you really discover when you look closely at the nature of God is that God loves you and God loves people. And what you're going to run into is sometimes when you become a, a religious person in a negative sense is that you become so fixated on God that you miss the point that God is all about people. So, so let me unpack it like this. This is the way I think it really works. Imagine if you came to me and gave me nothing but honor and nothing but praise and gratitude and thanks. And you treated me like I was the man and you were so good to me and kind. you brought me Starbucks. It was a grande caramel latte with whipped cream and it is fantastic. And you did all that. But then all of a sudden I walk outside and I see you slapping around my kid. I might punch you, you know, I'll forgive you in a minute, but like, you know, like you can't, you can't treat me wonderful and then go treat my kids like garbage. Why? That would infuriate me. I would have rather you kept the Starbucks. Well, I'd rather you give the Starbucks and be kind to my children. Do do you get it now? God's saying like no worship because that does something in your heart. No, come and be able, come and give, come and, but like then go exercise what this experience does in here. The worship, the walking with God, the connection, all that. It should enhance how you treat other people when you walk out these doors. This in here should never ever excuse some type of bad behavior out there. Somebody say amen. That was good. That was good. That was better. Yeah. Um, Number three is this. Um, and you just need to prepare yourself for this one. I'll need mercy in the future. Yeah. You're going to need it in the future too. Like you needed it already a lot. You're going to need it in the future a lot too. So again, you're going to need the future. Watch what James says. James says, speak and act as those who are going to be, that's future, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's another great tweet that, tattoo that. Mercy, everybody say that, everybody say mercy triumphs over judgment. I didn't say that, that was Jesus' little brother, he said that. Okay, so you can take that to the bank. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Meaning like if you're ever going to get into a moment where you're not sure which one you should do, always err on the side of what? Mercy, why? And he says why. He says one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account for all of your actions and deeds. Now, here's what you have to ask yourself. How do you want God to judge you? Well, I'd like for him to consider everything. I'd like him to consider how crazy my mom was, how dysfunctional my father was, uh, that my friend really did tempt me, like they tricked me into doing most of that stuff. I'd like to consider that, you know, I, ha- I had it hard, you know. I'd like to God to consider all the things in my favor that he possibly can, and even in light of that, still be what? Merciful. How do you treat people? Because what James is saying is this. It's like you're setting the rules to the game. And you're saying, these are the rules that I want to live by. I want to give everybody what's fair and what's just. And God's like, you sure? 
I don't know that you want to play according to the rules of that game, but I mean, I guess if you really want to, if you want to set the rules of the game, I, I guess, because if you want to go around and demand everybody has to be right and fair and judge, if you want to demand that, I guess we can make that the rules of the game. I don't. As a matter of fact, there's a great author, professor, you know, theologian, his name's R.C. Sproul. He died, I think 2015, wrote a bunch of great books. Uh, R.C. Sproul had uh, a class of students and he thought, well, I'm going to teach these kids little little lesson in mercy here and see how it unfolds and so he had 150 students in this one class and he told me he goes look your papers are due friday period have them in by friday at noon or you get a zero and that's it it's that simple get your work done so uh, out of the 150 students about 10 of them did not get their paper turned in on time and so what did they do they went to rc sprout and said uh professor uh, my dog ate it or my mom or you know what it made up all their excuses but can you please give me an extension and you know what he did he said, that's fine. I'll give you an extension. No worries about it. Just, just get it in by whatever. So sure enough, at the next time that a paper was done, he goes, I need the paper done by Friday at noon. And if you do not turn it in, you're going to get a zero. And so sure enough, instead of about 10 people not getting their paper done, now it became about 20 or 30 people didn't get their paper in on time. And you know what they did? They came and begged for mercy and made all their excuses. They're like, Hey, will you please give us an extension? And you know what he said? He said, okay, fine. But next time, if you don't do it, I'm giving you a zero. I've already warned you. And so sure enough, the third paper is due Friday at noon. And then instead of 20, 30 kids not doing now like 50 kids don't even get their, their papers in on time. And they're like begging, of course, will you please give us an extension? He goes, fine, I'll do it. But you are getting a full letter grade drop off of whatever you get. And they're like, wait, that's not fair. And he's like, oh, you want fair. Perfect, because what I told you was is that you'll get a zero if it doesn't get in. So since you want fair, you'll get the zero instead. Or do you just want to get one letter grade drop? <laughs> so you don't want fair. If you're taking notes, this is, this is what I would say. God is not fair, and you don't want him to be fair. Fair is when you get what you deserve. God doesn't get what you give you what you deserve. He's not fair. He's what? He's merciful. And God is inviting you because he knows, listen, the world will be a better place. If you and I learn to live and act and behave with incredible mercy, because again, number four, if you take notes, mercy brings happiness in some unique, cosmic, weird, unconventional way. Mercy brings happiness. I think in some ways it brings happiness because when you recognize the mercy of God, you become overwhelmed with gratitude and humility and joy. When you really see the mercy of God, it overwhelms you. But then If you actually begin to act and behave merciful, when you choose mercy towards others, you become more like God and then begin to bring heaven to earth. And in some way, somehow, Jesus said, you'll be happy if you do. If you'll learn to live with mercy, you will actually find more happiness in life. So in light of that, here's what I want you to do. Are you ready? Now this is where we get into the nitty gritty. This is what I want you to do in living this life of mercy. Number one is this, be patient with people's quirks. People are weird. Can I get an amen? Like people's is weird. I'm a pastor. There's a lot of y'all. Um, some of y'all are more quirky than others. I mean, I, I don't want to get anybody's specifics, but you know, you got these odd little tendencies. You got these personality traits. You got these mannerisms, these odd behaviors, these irritating habits. And we all do. And in any moment, we can act harshly or we can just be patient. We can be merciful. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Do you know why you have to bear with one another? Because some people are bare. 
some, some people are heavy. Some people are hard. Some people are challenging. And so you have to, you have to bear with them. And so as a matter of fact, let, let me talk to husbands and wives real quick here. One of the greatest things you can ever do in your marriage is learn to be merciful. One of the best things you can do is just say, Hey, it's not a big deal. It's all good. It's not a big deal. It's all because we feel the need to usually make a comment about everything that they do or didn't do or we liked or didn't like. And in doing so, we lack mercy. Do you really want everybody to point out every little flaw and every little mistake and every little thing that you do wrong? Of course not. It makes marriage heavy. Like you, you need to know this. The person that you married is quirky. Just out of the fact that usually like you're dealing with somebody of, of a totally different background, came from a different set of parents, maybe raised in a different state. Heck, just the fact that you're man and woman, you are radically different. I mean, dudes are weird. Yeah, ladies, y'all, if y'all really look at us, we do so, we have some strange habits, but y'all do too. Y'all's weird too about stuff. So that's right. Y'all's would be weird. So, so write this down. If you're taking notes, marriage is the union of two sinners. You need to embrace that. You married a quirky person, but a great marriage is the union of two great forgivers, people who live and behave and act in mercy. Most things in life, you need to say, you know what? It's not a big deal. I'm going to let that go. It's not a big deal unless it is detrimental to, I tell this to couples all the time because they'll be like, I'll I'll do a marriage counseling and somebody's in an argument and somebody's in a fight and I'll be like, all right, stop. This is what we're doing. We're calling a big old timeout. I don't want you to bring up or address or, or point out anything. I don't want you to bring anything up to your spouse. Because all I'm trying to do is get them to like, like have a ceasefire. Like stop firing shots. Stop firing bullets. Stop taking digs. That's how you bury your marriage, right? You just make a bunch of little digs over and over and over again. Stop it. Most So I tell them this. I'm like, look, unless it is detrimental to the future and health of the relationship, nothing. Let it go. It's not a big deal. That's your new motto. You want to get a tattoo? You want to tweet something? That's what you tweet. I'm going to let it go. It's not a big deal. Can I get an amen out there? And you lived like that. I'm just telling you, it creates more mercy in the relationship. And then you get some breathing room. And then you get to make some traction. So so just be patient. Number two is this. Help anyone hurting around you. I mean, this is this is one of the unique ways that we do talk about mercy. We talk about acts of mercy or, or, or mercy ministries. What are they? They're, they're ministries that help other people. They help people who are down and out or poor or suffering or hurting or whatever it is. And so this, this is the essence of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Is that Jesus is like, anytime you find somebody who's suffering and hurting, you pick them up, you put them on your donkey, you bandage them up, you help them in any way and every way that you possibly can. And in doing so, you live a life of mercy. Or this is what Solomon said, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due with when it is in your power to act. So anytime somebody is suffering or hurting and you can do anything about it, that is the practice and exercise of mercy. Number three is this, hey, give people a second chance. This is huge. This is just, uh, now again, at some point, I don't want you to get into the realm of enabling really, really uh, destructive behavior. That's not what I'm saying. But most people in life, they just need a second chance. And so listen to what Ephesians 4 says. Do not get bitter or angry or use harsh words that hurt each other. Don't yell at one another or curse or even be rude. Instead, be kind and be merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you. Because of Christ. Notice that he lists six different things that are all negative. Like, ah, you're being rude, you're being harsh, you're being this, you're being that. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in, and he uses the word mercy. This is, as a matter of fact, there's a great and incredible story. There's a man by the name of John Newton who on his tombstone, if you could throw this up on the screen, this is written on his tombstone. Pastor, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. John Newton was the son of a, uh, like a ship captain. And so he grew up on boats and eventually became his own ship captain and participated in the movement of, of slaves out of Africa and to different places in the world. And he was a part of it and he thought it was normalized and he just went, but he came to Christ. And after coming to Christ, he realized that what he was doing and what he was participating in was so evil and so wrong and so cruel. And he repented, he fled and he became a person who fought against this for the rest of his life. And in his repentance, he wrote a song. And the song says this, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, when we sing that song, it's one of the most famous church songs in the whole world. We think, oh, he was a wretch. I don't know about me. That's some pretty strong language. I'm just kind of a bad guy. I had a little bit of a potty mouth. I wasn't a wretch. I mean, come on now. And John was like, no, I'm a wretch. I participated in something cruel and evil. But God forgave me. God gave me a second chance. That's what you are looking for. That's what I'm looking for. That is what the world is looking for. And when we begin to be a people of second chance, we become more like God. And we begin to bring heaven to earth. Let's keep going here. So um, so give people a second chance. Number four is this, do good to those who hurt you. What? Yeah, I didn't say this. I wouldn't have made that up. I would have never have put this in my notes. I'm just quoting Jesus. He said this in Luke chapter six, love your enemies and do good to them. What? I know it's, it's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. You know what I want to do with my enemies? Punch them, bury them. I don't know something, get rid of them, ignore them, avoid them. Jesus is like, no, love them and do good to them. Watch what happens when you take people that are, are, are maybe your enemies or people that hurt you and then shower them with love, rain on them with mercy. I'm telling you, uh, just unleash it. You know what you do? You disable evil. You cripple it. You give it no chance to breathe. Because what happens is this. is If not, if we just respond in our human nature, you know what all we do is we create a cycle of negativity. We create a cycle of hurt. This is why the old saying is so true that hurt people hurt people. Why? They hurt you. Well, I'm going to hurt them back. Well, guess what they're going to do? They're going to continue to participate in the cycle of hurt. You want to make the world a better place? You want to make your life better? You want to make your life and soul happier? Stop participating in the hurt cycle. And start participating in the mercy cycle. So again, do good to those who hurt me. Here's another one. It basically is along the same lines. Be kind to those who offend me. Listen to the words of Paul. He says the same type of thing. He goes, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, I was a violent man. I was shown what? Mercy. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus might display his ultimate patience as an example for others who believe on him and receive eternal life. Those are some powerful words. What they go back and show is, is that I'm the offender in most scenarios. When it comes to me and God, I am the offender. And yet God keeps showing me mercy. So when people offend me, when people hurt me, when they're wrong me, I need to respond with mercy. Number six is this. These next two are a little bit odd. You might not think of them, but look, number six, build bridges of love to the unpopular. Like there are people, there are groups, there are, are, are sections that feel uh, rejected by church people, rejected by godly people, rejected by Christ followers. They feel utterly rejected. And I'm telling you, I, I, I think the doors need to be opened wide up. An invitation of love, an invitation of mercy. And, and I'm going to tell you why. It makes you uncomfortable, but it's what Jesus did. I had a person ask me that. Hey, I'm this, this, and this. They gave me their, their resume of their crazy behaviors and whatever. Will God still love me? I said, I know this. God loves you and there's an invitation. 
And I know that because when I read the life of Jesus, all he seems to do is keep inviting people into his circle that don't belong there. And when they won't join him, he invites himself into theirs. Now that's weird. Because constantly like, he's like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Good, I'm coming to your house. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Good, I'm coming to your house. Prostitutes, tax collectors, heathens, vile, mean, whatever. I'm coming to your house tonight. Call some friends. We're doing a dinner party. I'm just telling you, it's just what he did. And remember I told you that Jesus quotes that Hosea 6-6? This is one of the moments he quotes it. So if you're, if you're taking notes, go read this story on your own. But in Matthew chapter 9, there's a moment where Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of the typical outcast and unpopular and non-religious and pretty jacked up dysfunctional people. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders are mad at him. And they're all judging and making these comments. And this is again where Jesus quotes from Hosea. He goes, go learn the meaning of the scripture... I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices for I have come to call sinners, not those who think they're already good enough. So he goes, yeah, of course I'm hanging out with these people. Of course there's an invitation. Of course my arms are wide open. This is what I came to do. And sometimes we get religious and we start looking at the rules and who's in and who's out and who's good and who's bad. And we start, and we create these dividing lines. And in doing so, we close our arms we close our doors. We close all. And here's what I'm telling you to do. You ought to be inviting people into your home who do not know God. And sometimes you need to invite yourself to their house just to go love them. That is an act of mercy. You're trying to connect them to a merciful God. Number seven is this, and we're done. We'll wrap up on this. Number seven says value, value relationships over rules. There's, I told you there's two times where Jesus quoted that whole thing on loving mercy and not sacrifice. There's another one where Jesus is walking through the, the, the grain in the wheat fields on the Sabbath, and the disciples start plucking heads off the grain. Well, the religious leaders had made all these rules. So the basic rule was honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. But what they did was is they took, I don't remember how many it was. I think it was a couple hundred different additional rules for how you honor the one rule, right? We're getting very rule oriented now. You mean there's 200 rules I got to keep so I don't break the one rule. Okay, got it. Perfect. So if you honor the Sabbath, you can't do this. You can't, you can walk one mile, but you can't walk two miles. You know, you, you, you can't take your donkey with you. You can't, you know, there's all these different rules. And so one of the rules was like, hey, you can't do, you can't do this. And so Jesus is like, are you kidding me? <laughs> They're hungry. <laughs> if people are hungry, we feed them. <laughs> I don't care what the rule is. That, that was in essence what he was saying. He goes, because have you ever read the story in the Old Testament? This is what he tells the religious leaders, which was insulting because they like basically memorized the Old Testament. He goes, haven't you ever read the story? Remember when David and his men were hungry? And so he went into the temple and stole the priest bread, which was totally illegal just to feed his men. He goes, what are you gonna do with that? And then he quotes to them and I'll read it for you again. Matthew chapter 12 at the end here, it says, you would not have judged these innocent men if you knew the real meaning of the scripture. I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. It's a powerful stuff. Jesus is saying how you treat other people is more important than your worship. How you treat other people is more important than the letter of the law and the details. It's more important. I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Last story, there's a, there's a famous, there's all kinds of Abraham Lincoln stories, most of which are not true, but this one is, I looked it up. There's a great story about how near the end of the war, they had caught these rebel soldiers and they were deciding what to do with them. And of course, the people were all angry and are like, hang them. Let's just hang them. Let's make an example of them and let's hang them. And so Abraham Lincoln is there with his young son. I think Tad is only about 10 years old at the time. 
and it's a traumatic kind of kind of ordeal. And and he looks at his son. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do in this moment. And Tad says these words, "Daddy, don't hang him. Just hang on to him. Daddy, don't hang him. Just hang on to him." I almost think that that is the perfect picture of mercy. Because if God gave you what you deserve, I don't know that he'd hang on to us. But the son, the son is like, no, I'll take their place. Let's hang on to him. Let's hang on to as many as will come. This is the act of mercy. And so God has showered you. He is rich in mercy. God dearly loves you. That is the entire redemption story is that God loves you. And you need to think about this. Every time God forgives you, he's saying our relationship is more important than the rule that you just broke. Come. Does God want you to keep living in foolishness and ridiculousness and sinfulness? Of course not. But come. That's mercy. He's not giving you what you deserve. He's giving what you need. He's giving you the invitation into an incredible relationship with him. Will you walk with him? And in doing so, this is what this requires of you. If you're going to walk with this merciful God, it requires of you to say, okay, you've been merciful to me. God, let me go and live a life of mercy towards others. Let's pray this morning. You know, as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let you think for a minute here. Is there, is there anybody... That's kind of quirky. Maybe gets on your nerves a little bit. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. But they got some weird, peculiar things. And maybe you're short with them now. Maybe you're a little quick with them. Maybe you're a little dismissive of them now. Could you be merciful? Hey, is there anyone that has hurt you? And maybe rather than repeating the hurt cycle, maybe, maybe, maybe we step into this wonderful thing called mercy. And we seek to forgive them and to break that cycle. Hey, is there somebody that like totally wronged you, totally failed you? And the best thing that you actually could do right now is give them a second chance. Hey, is there, is there anybody that fits that category of they are, they're on the outside, they're kind of unpopular, they're maybe not loved or liked, but I could go do something. Hey, is there somebody in need around you? There's somebody that you say right now, that's person, I kind of know they're struggling. They're struggling in life. Maybe they're struggling in their health, maybe in their marriage, whatever it is. But you know what? Maybe I should text them. Maybe I should call them. Maybe I should take them up for coffee. Is, is there a need I could maybe meet in their life? And in doing so, again, we begin to live. It is, it is not enough to get up in this church and sing songs of God's great mercy. It is actually even more important that we walk out of here and let those songs become the expression of our life. And we go live a life of mercy. So God, I pray for these, your people, God, would you please help us to so live in your mercy and give it to the world around us, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.